This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Onyx Hunt, Waltons, Aluma Trailers, Ready Rest, and by Hoxie Native Seeds. Today we have a very special episode because we don't have just one guest. We have several, and they're all listeners of this podcast. We'll hear the good, the bad, and the inspirational from a variety of podcast listeners. I really don't know where these stories are about to go, but I think we'll all be entertained. Flush Nation, are you tired of lugging your shotgun through the fields, feeling the strain on your back and shoulders? Well, no more. Introducing Ready Rest, the ultimate shotgun rest designed for hunters like you. Ready Rest is a game changer that lets you carry your shotgun effortlessly for hours without fatigue setting in. Ready Rest lets you go longer and put on more boot miles. Whether you're a seasoned hunter or a beginner just starting out, Ready Rest is perfect for anyone who wants a little extra support in the field. If you've ever experienced arm, shoulder, or back pain while carrying a shotgun, Ready Rest is your solution. Ready Rest keeps your shotgun safely pointed up, ready to shoulder. It's the ideal companion for those long days in the field, giving you confidence to go the distance without tiring. Get Ready Rest now and take your hunting experience to the next level. Visit ReadyRest.com to grab your Ready Rest today because everybody deserves a break. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I'm your host on this weekly tour through bird country. Brandon Morton is our producer. Brandon, you ready for this? I'm ready. I'm sort of ready. I'm sort of ready. As always, as always. (laughs) Well, I'm excited today because we've got listener stories. The listeners speak on today's show. Uh, Just, I don't know, a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, we decided to do a show similar to this and it was a lot of fun having our listeners chime in. So we thought, let's do it again. And when we sent a request out there on social media, the messages just started to fill in. So we have a lot of them. Um, I don't know. Part of me feels like this might be the first of maybe more than one of these episodes because we had so many stories that got sent in. It was hard to kind of choose uh, there's going to be life lessons. There's probably going to be what not to do. <laughs> some of some inspirational um, listeners sharing stories about some excellent moments in the field this season and years past. So we're just going to jump right in. You ready? How do we do this? I'm ready. So we've got Ryan on right now. All right. Ryan Loman. Laman. How do I pronounce your name, Ryan? Loman. You had it right the first time. All right. Ryan Loman, where are you coming to, from today? I am in Coon Rapids, Minnesota, just north of Minneapolis. Oh, you could have just come into the studio then. Dang. <laughs> it wouldn't have been far. too bad of a trip. Nope. <laughs> Dang. Well, my son has a hockey game up there in a couple of days, so we'll be in your neck of the woods. Um, Ryan, how long have you been listening to the Flush podcast? Oh, man. Uh, few years now. I, I The podcast world is interesting because there's always so much content to take in, but definitely during hunting season, been a religious listener now for a few years. And uh, yeah, I love what you guys do and obviously watch the show. So big fans of you guys. Well, we appreciate that. What keeps you coming back to listen to the show? Is there is there certain guests that you like to hear from or topics or is it just bird and dog talk? 
literally just bird and dog talk. I, even when it comes to any other uh, Upland podcast I listen to, the guests are great, but just hearing stories and other <clears throat> other people's experiences to me <clears throat> is what brings me back all the time. And uh, it just good lessons throughout. And it's kind of where I got the lessons to to come with the story as well. So Gotcha. So you have a story prep for us today? I do. Yeah. A, uh, a bit of a scary one. Uh, everything turned out okay. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, it was, uh, it was a trip to North Dakota and we had a, a little run in with uh, a barbed wire fence. And I think everybody uh, who listens to this show is scared of it or either has, has had it happen or thought about it happen. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what we're going with today. Cool. Take us back to the field. Where were you and uh, who were you with? Sweet. Yeah. So I was in central North Dakota, uh, my second time going there chasing sharp-tailed grouse and, and Hungarian partridge uh, with three other buddies of mine. Um, but some context we were doing, it wasn't the greatest trip success-wise and seeing bird number-wise. We're getting a little frustrated. It was our second to last day. So we decided to split up and I took my buddy um, to a field that we actually gained uh, access to. It was a private field next to public. The day before we had saw some sharp tails fly into it. We're like, okay, we, we got, we pulled up the farmer's number, called him and he just happened to answer. And he was a great guy said yes. And so we put a plan in place for a couple of us to check out a little bit, uh, of his property at a couple different parcels out there. And so we split up my buddy and I, uh, who is, it's actually was only his second time upland hunting. Uh, we went out there to, to see what we could do. I have a, I have a Brittany and a golden. Uh, so I have enough, enough dog power to, to get the job done. Uh, my other two buddies went a couple miles away. They took both the trucks and that'll come in a little bit later. Uh, it was both their vehicles. We just got dropped off and, and went to town. So start walking, um, going up this fence line. And as anybody who's been out to the prairie knows, barbed wire, especially in North Dakota, is very prevalent out there. It is everywhere. Um, and we probably got about a half mile to three quarters of a mile away from where we were dropped off or the road. <clears throat> Hadn't seen anything yet. We were going to cross over this barbed wire. Um, and the year prior, uh, when I was in North Dakota, I was out there with my with my father-in-law and we didn't have um, the step that the, the step that everybody talks about having to get that you put on the, the fence post and you step on it, climb over, get over, whatever. We did a lot of army crawling and that got to be a little uh, annoying when you're crossing as many fences as you do when you're hunting in North Dakota. So uh, bit the bullet, about the $20 step, thought it'd be a great thing. We used it uh, every day prior to that. Everything was great. Um, we get to this fence line to cross it and it's actually two barbed wire fences um, within about three feet of each other. So you got to cross over one, get in the middle, cross over the other one. <clears throat> and uh, first uh, first fence went great. We were we went along fine, just like we had the prior days, stepped over perfectly fine, got over it, got to the next one. I put the fence step in, I get over. Um, it was a little bit of a higher step up um, than we were used to. So, and it got a little wobbly on me. So my buddy took it, took the step off, and adjusted it and moved it to a different one. And uh, as he stepped up on it, and as soon as he brought his other leg over and put his, uh, how you do it, if, if you haven't seen the step before, is you kind of put your weight on top of the fence post and step, uh, take your left foot and put it over to, to the right side if, if that's the angle you're looking at. And so he did that, he put all his weight up over on the, the fence uh, posts, went to step over, and the fence post step gave completely out. And uh, his hand was still on top, his, his, his right hand, <clears throat> and completely sliced on top of that T-post. And these these aren't sharp, and they're not the, the newest of fence posts. So you're, you're dealing with a rusty top of a fence post, a very dull, what I guess you could call a blade. 
and I couldn't see it right away. He just dropped down to where his, uh, between his legs was sitting on top of the barbed wire fence. So I'm thinking he, he cut his pants, he cut his, uh, he cut his skin on his, on his groin, that area. And all of a sudden he gets, he's able to shimmy himself off and, uh, apologize to viewers who don't like hearing about blood, but blood is just gushing from his hand. Uh, I immediately am like, are are you good? I, that's just my immediate reaction. Mm -hmm. I actually have all this on GoPro. It was a very scary situation to, to look back on. Um, luckily we can laugh about it now a little bit, but uh, just blood is gushing down his arm. He is in full on panic mode. We're again, we're about an hour and a half away from Bismarck. I don't mean to hotspot or anything, but there's that's context of the story. Mm -hmm. Um, and our buddies are probably three or four miles away in the field at this point. And so we don't have a truck. Uh, we're already about a half a mile away from the nearest gravel road and he's got blood just gushing out of him. And at the time, I don't know, uh, situations that you've been in Travis, but listeners, um, in the moment, you it, it's a hand, uh, so it's not like he had it ripped through an artery or anything, but you just see a lot of blood and you are just in straight panic mode. Right. And so it well, got pretty I mean, scary pretty you, quick. Like, I, that's what I'm wondering because you, I, I don't know what kind of a, a part of the hand that you hit, but it, it sounds like an artery almost the way you're describing it. Yeah, it was the palm. So it was uh, between right below the thumb, uh, between the thumb and the pointer finger um, on his right hand. And it was probably about an inch and a half, two inch wide gash. And we didn't know how deep it was. We just know that like blood was coming out. We both of us didn't really want to take a look at it. Um, And I so I carry um, since I knew basically since listening to podcasts, I've been carrying a, a dog first aid kit in my in my vest for the last few years and luckily never had to use it. Um, keep a human first aid kit in the truck. Just all, I try to take as much precaution as I can. Uh, but in the moment, man, that's the thing in the moment, all that stuff kind of goes out the window. And immediately my immediate thought, I knew what I had in my bag. Uh, but my immediate thought was just get my shirt off and wrap it as fast as I possibly could. And, uh, so we get it wrapped up. And at this point, blood's not really coming through. I was wearing a fleece shirt, so it's very, uh, very spongy and could probably absorb more than just like a regular cotton shirt could. And so we didn't see a lot of blood coming through, but we're immediately calling 911. And 911 is like, where are you guys at? And we're like, I don't know. We're, <laughs> I, I told them, because at that point, you're, 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 you're not really looking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, literally, I was like, can I share it? Can I send you my location? I haven't called 911 and had to share a location at all. I don't know if that technology exists. So yeah. um, I, I gave him, I looked at my map and was like, okay, we're between these roads. And he, bless his heart, he couldn't figure out where we were because we're out in the middle of, of nowhere. And so uh, they get first responders to, we, we figured out after like four or five minutes on, on the phone with the dispatcher, a uh, couple first responders show up, just rural first responders. Anybody's been out in a rural country area, first responders are just farmers, moms and dads, stuff like that. I mean, they're, they're well trained, obviously, but um, the ambulance is about a half hour away. You're not getting anybody anytime soon uh, with a, a big supply of medical gear. So we're walking back. He's, we keep his arm elevated. Uh, I'm we're just kind of straight panicking because we don't know what's going on. I uh, got to get I have two dogs, got to get the dogs back. There's a whole barbed wire fence along the fence post. So it's like trying to make sure dogs aren't running and getting another barbed wire right. incident there. So we get back. Um, our buddies meet us there before the first responders get there. We sit him down on a cooler, got his hand in the air elevated and, and he's OK. He was getting lightheaded. Um, but he's doing okay. But we're, we're like, do you want it? We could take the the shirt off as the wrap and we could wrap it with some gauze that I have in my bag. And he's just like, no, 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 we're not. Cause I don't know if it's going to start pouring out again or, or what's going on under there. So 
first responder shows up and of course she's like, we got to take this, this shirt off to, to see what we're dealing with. And, uh, we did, the bleeding was, was, has gone down a little bit. Um, and so she wraps it up with everything. The ambulance gets there and they, they check him out. He's, he's hydrated. We got him some fluids in him and he was good. Uh, and then we chose, we could have either taken an ambulance to our drive to Bismarck, or we could take a, a my buddy's truck there. And we, we opted to take the truck because I think we had it under control at that point. And so took about an hour, hour and a half drive to Bismarck, had his hand medically wrapped and elevated the whole time. And just, we kept talking the whole time just to make sure he stayed conscious and wasn't having any issues there. Uh, got to Bismarck and got him in the ER and within Within four hours, we were probably out of there and back on the road, if not less than that. He was he had 14 stitches, seven uh, internal stitches and seven on the outside. And uh, that that evening, actually, we ended up going back out and he was walking the field with us. Uh, not really uh, just more so to prove that he could be out there walking around. I <laughs> right. uh, wasn't going to fire a gun or anything, but. Uh, a very, very scary situation that turned out okay. Uh, he still doesn't have much feeling in that hand, which is unfortunate. Uh, he's he might slowly get it back. It's fully functional. He can. He Sounds plays like golf. It, he, he went through nerves then point, as well, but, huh? Nerve damage. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And so he he's good now. A few months later, but it was. Uh, yeah, that was our that was our scary story for the season, and I was definitely a type. I didn't think nothing could happen to me, but I was like, man, like we just don't hunt enough stuff where like crazy things like that could happen. And um, man, until some of your your gear gives out or you you improperly use it and and it gives out like that, you just never know what, what could happen to you when you're out there. So right has has he been able to shoot since then? Since it's happened. Yeah. So, uh, he, so that was in middle of September. He came out with us for pheasant opener, uh, Minnesota pheasant opener in, in middle of October. And he actually shot his first pheasant that weekend, which was awesome. Um, oh, nice. it was kind of a cool, uh, a cool little end of that story there. So yeah, he was able to shoot one then. And then he came back out a couple other times and, and was good to go there, but uh, it was a good redemption story getting that, that first solo rooster of his, of his own on opening weekend. For I sure. That's yeah. Awesome. That's well, cool. it's funny. You didn't scare him away with that, uh, accident that he didn't want to come back out there again my goodness I know. well that was the thing i felt so bad because he, he's new to upland hunting he has uh he's deer hunted his whole life but i, I love getting uh, new guys into into upland hunting and uh met him a few years ago it's like dude you gotta come out and try it you're gonna love it and uh he bought himself a, an over under gun this year he's talking about a dog in the next couple years so got him hooked and i'm glad that didn't scare him away because if anything was going to that would have done it what do you think was the main takeaway for you? What was the lesson learned there? Was there one or just that accidents can happen at any moment? Yeah, literally. I think that that's, that's the, the lesson we learned is that any moment, even if you don't think it can happen to you in the, in the safest of places, something can happen. Um, I've never had, I've had dogs have uh, some small injuries in the field before, <clears throat> um, but nothing that couldn't wait till the next day or, or a couple of days later. But um, yeah, I, I don't want to say I never thought nothing would happen to me just because I know the risk of having of bird dogs, but having it happen to a human out in the field and um, that part to me kind of shook us up a little bit because you just you don't plan for any of that to happen. So always be prepared. We like I said in my message to you guys, we were prepared with all this proper uh, gear and first aid stuff. Uh, didn't end up using it, but it was there if we needed it. Uh, and just know what what you need to do if something happens in the field. I've done a decent amount of research on wrapping and um just typical small first aid stuff that you should be able to have in the field and so i think uh 
that helped a little bit. And, uh, and he was, he, he knew exactly what to do right away too. We both were like, got to get it wrapped right away. So just be prepared. Uh, you, it's, it's, you can always be prepared, but it's tough to, um, to know what's going to happen in that, in that moment. So try to put yourself in that situation before, before it arises. So Ryan, we appreciate you sharing your story. We've got our next guest on the line right now. So we're going to hang up with you and we're going to jump right into the next story, I believe. Right, Brandon? Yes, that is correct. It looks like we have David on. Thanks very much, Ryan. Appreciate it. That was on. That was crazy stuff. <laughs> right, I know. <laughs> well, I think it's going to get a little wilder yet, even if you can believe that. I've read through a lot of them. I don't know that I've read through all of the messages that we've gotten, but I've read through a lot of them. And so it's it's going to get uh, a little it, stick around. You're going to hear some <laughs> little scary stories coming up here. All right. David Bain is our next guest that is on the line right now. Um, I think this is going to be a little bit more of a feel good story (laughs) than our first (laughs) guest, Brandon. I, I hope anyway, we'll see which way David takes this one. Um, David Bain, where are you coming to us today from? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, um, thanks for having me on. I, I live in uh, Grand Forks, uh, North Dakota. Okay. Gotcha. Um, how long have you listened to this podcast? Um, I would say it's been a while, probably five plus years. Um, so yeah, I, I enjoy the show a lot. What is it that keeps you coming back? Honestly, uh, it's, it's shows like this where you're, you're talking to people that are spending time in the field and, uh, listening to stories um, kind of he- hearing the war stories as it were. <laughs> the war stories. Well, you didn't get to hear the first one, but it's definitely a war story. Yours, I think, is a little bit more of a feel-good story. I didn't want to have all scary <laughs> moments. I don't want to scare everybody away from hunting, but yours is a good one. Um, can you take us back to the to the mess or to the story that you sent us last week? Um, with I think happened again in North Dakota. Is that right? Yep, it did. Yeah. Yeah. I can take you through it, I guess. Um, I'll, I'll try to not be too long winded, but, um, yeah, I was hunting closing weekend. So just, uh, just over a week ago, I guess I'm, I'm still feeling the doldrums of, uh, the, the end of the season, at least here in North Dakota. Oh, we um, all are, man. But we all are. are. It's a brutal time yeah. of the year. Yeah. yeah. It, it is. And it's, yeah, it's cold up here. Well, it's cold everywhere, but really cold up here. So it's, yeah, stuck inside, just relying on some of those memories. But thankfully, ended my season on a pretty high note for a few different reasons. Um, but yeah, I was hunting in uh, North Dakota with uh, several friends. And um, uh, another friend of mine who's not a hunter, I was chatting with, uh, I guess, earlier or last year in, in uh, the first part of the, the hunting season. And um, he he has family that uh, um, homestead steaded in North Dakota a long time ago, um, all the way back to 1904. And, uh, he was doing some research at the library and was able to find the the exact location of his family's uh, homestead. And, uh, probably goes without saying, but, but because he had to do some research at the library, they don't currently own the, the land anymore. Um, it, it left the family, I think, in the in the 40s. But at any rate, he was able to provide me the exact coordinates. And when I looked them up on, on X, I realized that it's not too far from an area that I, I periodically hunt. 
Um, so I told him, Hey, if, if time allows at some point, uh, this season, I'd, I'd love to go visit, uh, where, where your family homesteaded, if that's okay. And, and he said, sure. Yeah. You know, that's obviously fine with him. He didn't have really a stake in the, in the game anymore, other, other than the history. Um, so yeah, we, uh, it was, uh, yeah, one of the last days of the season, like I said, and, and we had finished up early. We had all our birds. Uh, it was a great day of hunting. And I had mentioned to a couple of my buddies about this exact thing. And they said, Hey, we should go try to find it. Um, and so I, I looked it up from where, where we stood. It was, I think about 18, 19 miles away on a lot of gravel. And I said, it might be a little bit of a hairy drive to get there. Um, but, uh, if you guys will humor me, let's, let's go find it. So, uh, anyway, long story short, we, we drove there, um, saw a bunch of wildlife on the way. It was just kind of this picture perfect ending to the day. We, we drove, um, the, the long way and, uh, took some gravel roads. We saw moose on the prairie, a lot of pheasants, um, you know, Hungarian partridge, sharpies, uh, white-tailed deer, mule deer, pretty much any wildlife you'd see that time of year out on the prairie we, we saw. And then, uh, we, we were able to find this original homestead, um, walked around, took a bunch of pictures, uh, was able to share them with, with my friend. And, and he was just, over the moon, excited to see all of them. And, uh, it was, it was kind of a way that I could share my passion, uh, for hunting with a friend who's not passionate about it, at least at this time. Um, but is passionate obviously about, about his family and about history. And so it was a, yeah, kind of cool way to connect the dots in a bunch of different ways. So had he ever been to this homestead before? Never has. No. Really? Huh? Yeah. What was his response when you sent him the photos and video? Yeah, he just said, wow, that's that's really, really cool. Um, you know, he, he lives in the, the Twin Cities. So, you know, from where we were, it was quite a few hours away. Uh, hard to get to, um, you know, kind of one of those places. And if you fund in the Dakotas, I know you have, Travis, um, a lot. There's you know, these abandoned farmsteads are really a dime a dozen. You drive by them all the time. <clears throat> so this, you know, if you drove by it, it really wouldn't stand out. But because there is this history with my uh, close friend and, and college roommate, uh, it, it made it all the more special. So yeah, he just, he was thankful for all the pictures and thankful that, you know, he got to kind of connect indirectly uh, back to his his family's homestead. And my hope is that at some point in the future, whether he's hunting with me or, or you know, we just go for a, a long drive, uh, we, we can uh, go visit it again together and, and kind yeah. of uh, bring it full circle. For well, and, and he might see what it looks like to watch a dog run the prairie and, and find birds and experience that too. Who knows where it might end up taking you, but that's so cool. I find a lot of times, Absolutely. David, that um, and, and this was just last week or I think last week or the week before when I was in Nevada, for example, we were climbing up this mountain we're like, there's a valley that kind of winds through it. And there's a range on both sides, West and East. And there's this foundation, this old farmstead that is broken down, but the foundation of some, um, looks like some clay and some brick perhaps. I mean, it was an old, old house. It was still visible that somebody lived there at one point and it was a long time ago. And I remember stopping 
and then just standing there and looking around and thinking, who settled here? And what were they thinking right in this location? Because I could see, because we were halfway up this mountain in this valley, I could see, you know, I don't know, as far as the eye can see, Brandon, I mean, it's a long, long ways, miles and miles and miles and miles and miles and miles. And I'm wondering, how do they, where do they come from? You know, and then why this spot? Why would they stop here? Because there was no sign of another establishment for at least four miles, at least. That's more modern day type of a building. But I mean, there is so few out there. And even you get into spots in North Dakota where you're like that, where it's like that. And you're thinking, man, I wonder what they were thinking out here. Why did they stop here? And it's kind of cool too. You know, you really only get a experience yep. Yep. getting to see places like that while hunting or while hiking yeah. or just being outdoors and, yeah. and getting out in the field. Cause there's no other way really to discover these. Yeah, why places else would you be exactly. out there yeah, to yeah. find something like yeah. that? Uh, it's interesting, David, it sounds like you had a great season too. I mean, uh, you limited out early enough to go on a, on a cool adventure that it was a sidebar to the hunt, but was the highlight of your hunt the all the birds that you saw, or was it finding somebody's long lost property like that? You know, it, it's really all of it, it and that's uh, when when you do trips that are multi day. I mean, it's different from just going out, you know, for a few hours after work. It's it's about the company, it's about the dogs, it's about it's about the birds. You know, it's about the landscape and and kind of these little adventures that happen throughout the weekend. And, and, you know, the other thing I was thinking about as you were talking about that, um, that, that, uh, farmstead or, or building, I guess, in Nevada, it's also like equipment, you know, and, and one of my hunting buddies grew up farming and, uh, and, and he also works for like an implement manufacturer now. Mm-hmm. And there were old cedars and an old, uh, combine and, and, you know, a couple of other old implements that were just laying on, on this abandoned farmstead. And he was able to kind of walk through and just look at them and, and say, oh, this was probably, you know, within a few years, this was probably manufactured in, you know, 56 or 58 uh, because of these little parts. And, you know, just, just kind of stuff like that, that, you know, I don't know right. growing up in the suburbs, you know, I, I don't know some of those things. So it's really all of it, but but yeah, I guess getting back to your question, it was a great season. Um, we were really fortunate, you know, in North Dakota to have uh, great bird numbers in most parts of the state. Um, you know, other than I guess the southeast, from what I heard, um, and experienced a little bit hunting. But yeah, it, it was a it was a great year all around. But I think my favorite parts. It's hard to say what my favorite part is, but. The thing that you know brings me back and and continually gets me into the field is definitely my dogs. Um, I would say that's the that's the best part. Uh, how would you rank this season based on what you saw out in the field and the times that you got to spend with friends out there? I mean, have you had seasons that were more bird plentiful than this one? Um, I wouldn't. I would say not in recent memory. No. Mm-hmm. Um, they, yeah, the, the, the numbers were definitely the best I've seen them in over 10 years. Yeah. The good old days, Brandon are today. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like for a lot of bird hunters, yeah. I heard him say that multiple times, like the good old days are back. It yeah, was that I've good heard. for a lot of people out there. That's, 
That's, uh, that's good to hear. That's awesome. David, we appreciate you making time for us this morning. Thanks for sharing your story. Hopefully you can um, connect with us again next year and tell us about the time that you took your buddy out to his old farm set in North Dakota and his experience out there. Yeah, I hope so too. I, yeah, I, I do too. So thanks so much for having me and yep. letting me share my story. Yep, absolutely. Brandon, we've got another guest just about to jump on here. Yes, so we we'll let David go and we'll uh, connect with Alex Eastman here. But before we do, Brandon, I just want to remind our listeners right now that all of our flush episodes that aired the, over the last six months on the Outdoor Channel are now streaming in their entirety on YouTube. We have our awesome. YouTube channel. So if you subscribe to that, you'll be notified every single time we upload an episode. We do upload the episodes in their entirety as they aired on the Outdoor Channel. Uh, first one was a Badlands Grouse Opener. Okay. Things got a little heated out there. Uh, you'll have to watch I'll to find to out it. what, what yeah. I mean by that. And then um, my Alaska Adventure just uh, dropped this week, part one of a two-part adventure up there. I've watched a little bit of it back again, and you know it's like it's been below zero now for like days 60 hours yeah. <laughs> in minnesota days. and that just kind of i don't know it lights my fire a little bit so that was a ptarmigan hunt correct yeah uh, yep. rock ptarmigan willow ptarmigan and white-tailed ptarmigan live uh, in alaska in some of the most incredible land that i have ever walked and sometimes you know like we were just talking with david you know like what are you thinking who was out there but also there's times where i get into some of these places and i wonder if I'm the first person that's stepped on that rock, yeah, you know, well, like absolutely. you're so far away, there's no reason that you would ever want to put your body through that to get somewhere, but to experience, you know, the hunt. It, 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 when you were talking about that, it kind of reminds me of an old joke about Minnesota specifically about how Scandinavians would leave Scandinavian countries and come to the exact same environment. Like, <laughs> once you go somewhere nicer, yeah, yeah where it's cold <laughs> and miserable in the winter and hot and humid in the summer, they just moved from one of the same environment over to the exact same. Well, now that things are settled, Minnesotans don't do that anymore. They go to Arizona, <laughs> California, a lot and of Florida. Florida. <laughs> yes, a lot of snowbirds. Exactly. If there's one thing that we live for here at the Flush, it's bird hunting. And we all know that you can't have good bird hunting without good habitat. Few people know more about bird habitat than Hoxie Native Seeds. Family-owned and operated, Hoxie Native Seeds has provided bird hunters across the Midwest with countless acres of premium native habitat mixes sourced straight from their own fields in the heart of Iowa. Perennial food plots, quail mixes, pheasant mixes, CRP, even dog-friendly seed mixes. To learn more, go to HoxieNativeSeeds.com. That's H-O-K-S-E-Y NativeSeeds.com. Dot com to order your own premium hunting habitat mixes today. The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day, and now that app is available in our vehicles. Yep, Onyx did it. They launched Apple CarPlay. That means when you plug your phone into your vehicle, you now have the option to open up the Onyx app right on the dash of your hunting rig. No more holding your phone while driving, which is obviously dangerous, and you get all of the same layers on your vehicle dash that you get on your phone. You can see the aerial view of your location while driving down the road, just like you'd see if you're using your own maps 
apps, Waze, or Google Maps. Except now you can find out if the properties around you are open to the public. The landowner's name that owns the land. And if you're in North Dakota, you can see if that land is posted without even touching your phone. To use this feature, simply make sure your Onyx app is up to date. And if you're not an iPhone user, don't worry. Onyx is currently working on the same platform for Android phones too. Apple CarPlay, the latest incredible feature from Onyx Hunt. Always know where you stand and now where you drive with Onyx Hunt. Okay, our next guest, Alex Eastman, jumped on, but we had a couple technical difficulties, so we are adjusting our rotation, which is what we used to do back in our live radio days, Brandon. Yes, you remember those, the glory days? <laughs> the glory days. I want you to save a couple of your best stories. I've got a few as well from years <laughs> of doing live radio, but uh, we'll get our next guest in now. Heath Lee is joining us. Heath, where do you live? Um, right now I live in York, Nebraska. Gotcha. What's the weather like down there? Uh, it's very cold. <laughs> well, yeah, but it can't be as cold as where we are right now. Negative. Uh, my watch says negative four degrees. I don't know about the wind chill. It's probably negative 20. All right. I'll give you that. You're pretty cold. That's, that's yeah. pretty much Minnesota weather right, right there. Yeah. Yep, that's a nice t-shirt day for Minnesota. Brandon, I got yeah. the pond. I flooded it last night. It was 10 below zero with some blowing snow and it's just getting primed for the big, um, we're going to call it the, um, the old timers classic. Oh, nice. Yeah. Hopefully this is a annual hockey tournament. The kids don't get to play. They just get to watch the dads <laughs> and moms go and play hockey <laughs> for one night. We're all going to go hurt ourselves. Anyway, enough about me. Let's that. talk about Heath. Heath, how was your hunting season this year? How has it been so far? Cause yours is probably still open. Uh, yeah, it's been pretty good. Um, a big change cause I used to live in Akron, so it was go hunt every weekend. Um, Hunt with Tim Brown and some other guys up there, so it's. Been I was going to say you're being, in Tim's country over there. I've hunted. Yeah, in that being being away from Akron, it's a little harder to find pheasants down here. But uh, but there's more. I have been out there's a few more times. more bobwhite quail where you are, right? Yeah, you get south of us here. Um, you'll run into some, and even to the southeast, you'll run into quite a few there. So, gotcha. How long have you been a bird hunter? Um, I guess I kind of started in high school. So, well, 10 plus years ago. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, we, we, and I grew up out in Western Nebraska in the Northwest corner of the state, uh, South of Hay Springs. And there used to be a lot of pheasants there and then they kind of were on the downfall. And then, uh, kind of in high school, they started making a big comeback. So we would go out and, and, uh, and chase after those and, uh, some Sharpies too. Gotcha. Well, I'm wondering if the story that you just sent me is the scariest story that you've come across since you've been a hunter or if there's scarier moments. You know, when I start thinking about it, I think that's probably the scariest one um, as far as a, a pheasant hunting or upland hunting accident has, has uh, occurred when I'm around. Uh, I have had some other accidents in the past. I've had message you before with your, uh, fish hook incident, yeah. uh, of catching a pellet, multiple pellets in the face. Uh, well, and one can you, getting can you stuck share that one eye. first and then we'll get to the latest one. The, sure, the pellet sure. in the face, what happened there? Yeah. So, uh, I grew up on a farm and, uh, it was me and my brother and our hired man. And, and, uh, well, it's the farm. You got, you know, 
some wild things that are around that you don't necessarily want to have around. Um, so we're trying to get rid of some of that stuff. And, uh, yeah, uh, long story short, my mom was at the courthouse and she called us, said, get back to work. Said, okay, we've got to check the shed one more time. My brother was walking in the house and we checked the shed one more time and chased one of them out. And, uh, he ended up shooting it and I was probably 10, maybe 10 yards behind it and, uh, direct line and, uh, he was using steel shots, so it ricocheted off the gravel, and I don't know how many pellets hit me. Probably 10. Had a three or four in my leg. Went through my legs. Luckily, it didn't. Nothing got stuck there, but a um, couple in my arms, one in my chin, which is still there, and then one that is in my left eye, which I wouldn't even know known I got hit if the one didn't hit me in the eye. Wow. So did you lose your sight right away? Yeah, I couldn't really see out of it. I was pretty scared. Uh, I just dropped my gun uh, and ran over to the vehicles to try to look in a mirror to see if I had any, you know, see if my eyeball was hanging. I didn't know if my eyeball was still there or, or what this deal was. So, yeah, it was scary. And, uh, you know, it was kind of like I told you the other day was, everyone just kind of starts freaking out. So, uh, once I calmed down a little bit and realized I, you know, my eye was still there and my contact had was gone, obviously. So I couldn't see very good in the first place, but I went inside and told my brother, I said, all right, you need to call mom. And granted she's at the courthouse. So I said, you're going to, he couldn't keep it together. So I said, give me the phone. I talked to her. I said, you're just going to have to go over to the sheriff's office and tell them what happened because as soon as I show up to a hospital, they're going to start asking questions. So, Man, you handled it differently than I think I would have. I would have probably been like, <laughs> well, worry about the questions later. I need to get this right. this pill yeah. out of my eyeball. Could you feel it still in there? I, I, I couldn't feel it. Uh, our hired man, he was a couple of years younger than I was at the time, still in high school, I think. So... Um, and I had been out of high school for a couple of years when this happened, but I said, all right, just drive me to Shadron. We drove to Shadron, went to the hospital and it's a good thing I wasn't dying because they weren't going in any sort of hasty, uh, intentions to get anything done. So, but they took an x-ray and figured out there was one behind my eye and one in my chin and I learned more at the eye doctor and he said, I don't know how it didn't damage anything, but it's stuck right behind, right in the center at the top of your eye socket in the bone. Wow. And they got it out. It's still there. Oh no. It's still in your <laughs> eye. It's still there. And so is the one that's in my chin. And it just, it's okay. Yeah, they said just leave it and unless something in your eye, if you start getting like a, you know, little uh, fuzzies or uh, black dots or like a uh, curtains coming over your eye, you don't have anything to worry about. But as soon as that starts happening, you need to go see an eye doctor as soon as possible. Now, I get this question all the time because I've got a metal plate in my head. How is it going through security for you? Like, is, is there like metal detectors? Do you go off in them in the, in the metal? Uh, do you have to like have a special doctor's note saying you've got metal in your head? 
Surprisingly, I don't. Okay. And I figured I would because I got the one in my eye and I got one right on my bottom of my jawbone. Yeah. It's still there too. So, (laughs) and that one's still there because they said there's too many, too many veins and arteries close to it that we're not going to even try digging it out. Which wow. I can feel that one. I mean, I can touch it right now. Wow. That's- Holy crap. I think it's <laughs> now it's funny because you're so calm about it, you know? Like, well, but it's scary. It was, I mean, my goodness. It, it, it was scary. And yeah, I couldn't, couldn't really, you know, they didn't want me to work, you know, couldn't even drive a tractor on the farm for a week. I had to go to Rapid City to a, a retina specialist. And uh, I was sitting in the chair and he walks in and he said, huh, so I hear you're bulletproof. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, you could say that. (laughs) Well, I just came out of my one-month follow-up, and the doctor said that I'll go down as one of the biggest bullets dodged that he'll see in his career, the way the hook went through my eyeball. Yeah. I'm glad that you're – you said, I think, in the message that your eye is fully functional. You can see like you did beforehand, right? Yeah, and my vision hasn't gotten any better or any worse since so yeah i would say that's a a pretty good win in my book (laughs) random question did the contact have anything to do with saving your eye a little bit like by some weird chance i don't know because yeah they figured it just ricocheted and it somehow entered at an angle to my eye and hit the side of my eye socket and then shot straight back Without touching anything. You are so lucky. This wasn't even the conversation we intended to have. (laughs) How about let's get to your latest hunt that you uh, sent me the other story from. You went back home or went back to Akron, right? Yeah. So this was actually last year um, when I still live there because I just I just moved uh, from Akron at the end of of, uh, July. So it was actually last year when I was there. Uh, still full time and living there, um, but a buddy of uh, mine and I, Rich is his name. Um, we went out to a public place just north of town. Um, would be probably a couple miles north, north of that Boyd's Bend, which I think you're probably familiar with that. Yeah, l- let's preface this since we just said Akron, but Akron, Iowa, is yes, where Akron, you were located, Iowa. which is in western Iowa. Okay. Keep going there. You, you uh, so, pick it back up. Yep. So we were, we went up, and, and this is on some public ground and some private that I had permission on. Um, we had been hunting for, oh, a couple hours probably and kind of just getting to the point to wind it down, and it was starting to warm up just a little bit. Um, but we were back along the Big Sioux River, and there was a little bit of snow on the ground, and then there was ice on the river. Um but the exact spot we were kind of in was timber and some trees, and we was just kind of walking through there to get back to some open grass. Um, and at the time, I can't remember what month it was. It might have been this, I think it was January, just before the season was going to end. Um, but we had been walking, and our dogs were just kind of running around, and I had my dog, Remy. Uh, she's a four-year-old German short hair, so she would have been three at the time. And then Rich's dog, Daisy, she was a yellow lab. Well, we were walking, and Remy was in front of us, and we didn't know where Daisy went. So we start looking around, nothing. So we walked over to the edge of the uh, river, and we saw her down in the water. She had gone off the edge down to the bank and into the water right where uh, – uh, 
the current and everything runs and uh, there's a bunch of old dead trees down there and the ice was right there and we knew if she got uh, if she got underneath the ice by those trees she was going to be gone how much so cur- when we, how much current was was in that spot cuz i've walked along that river and it's moving pretty good yeah and it was moving pretty good i mean we get a lot of water from north you know sioux falls anything up there comes our way mm-hmm. so it was moving pretty good um and the ice wasn't very thick so rich hands me his gun and he just he's like i i gotta go get her i'm not gonna leave her so he steps on the ice and it's kind of starting to kind of sink a little bit so he just got down on his belly and slid out there and when he got to her she was I don't know how long she'd been down there. Not very long, but long enough to make her tired. Plus, it didn't help. We had been hunting for a couple of hours. Um, so we got out there and just grabbed her by her collar and, and and pulled her up on the ice and slid her to me. And and at that point, he was, oh, probably four inches deep of water, soaking wet, and slid back to the bank. And, and then, of course, with all the commotion, my dog thinks she wants to come down to the river bank. <laughs> And get in the water, which we put a stop to that real fast. Yeah. But, but yeah, it, it was scary. I mean, you got to act fast in those situations, and especially, and you know, you don't know where that current's going to take the dog. You know, how much ice is downriver from her? Where could she pop up? Where you know, where is she even going to end up? Well, so. my my thought Heath goes to your buddy. Like, I mean, this ice clearly isn't strong enough to support the dog. Like for him to slide out there if he goes down did that cross your mind what are you gonna do yeah it did and at that point it's like well boy uh i don't know he's a little bigger than i am so it's gonna be tough and when you're fighting ice and water and trying current. to get two things I think the out biggest of the river thing is current right that's what scares yeah, me yeah the current yeah oh and it was imagine. moving. How, it was moving. Any idea how deep it was there if he would have broken through? Right where he was probably at, you probably would have, I don't know, where the dog was, she probably would have had, I don't know, seven, eight feet to the bottom, Ooh. maybe more. That's, that's Where he was at, you're probably talking at least head high, maybe six foot. Wow. That's scary, man. I'm you know, that's that just where the ended the way it the, did. Right. And yeah, and you never know with that dog having a collar on. That's not, you know, she gets hung up on a tree branch that's underwater. Oh, yeah. Could kiss her goodbye because you're never going to, you know, you hope she, if worse comes worse, if she would have been taken under to get away from all the trees and then you could find her later. But yeah, chances of that are pretty slim. Right. I think that just goes as a, a big, um, a big, uh, scary situation dodged there, I guess. I, I don't yeah. know how to accurately even comment on that. I mean, I, I just, I get so nervous because of the current, I guess, more than anything. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Did you guys talk about it afterwards? Is there anything that you took away from that that you'd say, wow, we got to, be mindful of next time or don't go don't go by the river at all during that time of the year when there's just not enough ice to go out on top of it i guess our when we got when we got everyone back up in the the trees we were just kind of walking like man that was scary i said yeah 
said, I guess one thing to learn from it is, you know, keep a, a better eye on your dogs. And I'm bad about it. When you get into, and granted, there's only two of us, but when you get into a bigger group and the dog's just kind of working and there's other dogs, but yeah, just probably a little bit better job of, of minding where your dog is. Um, but yeah, then too, especially with the river and the ice is be mindful of how powerful it can be. Um, you don't know what can happen hmm. and it happens fast. It happens fast. Well, Heath, we're glad that your eyesight is okay. We're glad that your buddy's dog is okay. And your buddy's okay. We appreciate you taking time today. Our next guest is already on the line, so we're going to switch over to David. But we appreciate your time, Heath. Thank you. Hey, thank you. And we'll probably see you up there at the Pheasant Fest in Sioux Falls. Oh, yeah. Yeah, That we're counting down the days before we're at Pheasant Fest. It'll be here before we'll we know We'll be it. there before we know it. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll see you there, Heath. All right. Yeah, thank you, guys. See you. Our next guest is David Sensky. Did I say your name correctly? Yes, sir. All right, David, where do you uh where are you calling us from today? Uh Southwest North Dakota. Southwest North Dakota. What's it look like out there on the landscape right now? Cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, temperature is what? Negative 13 right now. Yeah, not bad, not bad. Um how much snow do you have out there? Maybe inch and a half if we're lucky. Okay. So the birds are going to be just fine. As long as they can get yeah, to food, they've, they'll nestle into some thick cover and wait out the storm, knowing that there's plenty of grain to pick and probably some corn on the, on the ground that they can get into as well. I mean, the biggest key I, I've been seeing because of this, this big blast is people are like, I hope the birds make it through this. And I'm like, dude, they're, they're built for this. They will. And it's, it's about having cover and then food. And there's, they're not going to have issues finding food right now. So I think you're going to be just fine. Watch them come out here in the next sunny, calm day, and there'll just be birds everywhere out there eating right now. So um, we just had a scary story about a dog going into a flowing river. David, I think you have another scary story, huh? I do. Yeah. Care to take us back to this moment? When, when was it? Where was it? And then how did it all go down? Yeah, for sure. So it was... Probably the beginning of November-ish, you know, and uh, a couple days before we had a really wet, heavy snow. And, uh, I mean, it's just perfect for bird hunting. You know, they're not moving around for the last couple days. We got out there earlier in the morning. It was a little chilly, but it wasn't crazy. It was probably like 10 degrees or so. And uh, we were, I don't know, probably five miles south of where I live. And uh, there's this perfect little creek that runs down in this little valley, you know, big, thick bushes, big, thick cover everywhere. And uh, we had been working it all morning. We've been seeing a lot of birds, you know, shooting some if we're lucky. And uh, it was just me and my my two dogs. I have a, a two-year-old lab, and at the time he was a five-month-old lab. And uh, we were working, you know, most of the day, like I said, and... Uh, we were going, getting ready to come back to the truck, and I seen a bush over on part of this creek that we don't, I don't usually go to. I'm not really familiar with that part of the creek, but these birds were just, you know, going straight to that bush. So I decided we'd go over there and try to kick a couple up. And uh, we had, we'd crossed the creek a couple times, and it was, you know, there's two layers of ice. The top layer was probably like an inch or so thick, and the bottom layer was maybe 
I want to say at most eight inches below that top layer. So, you know, the dogs are breaking through through the ice. Is it just air underneath the top layer? No, nope, nope. It's water. Like I said, we had a really wet, heavy snow. Okay. So, you know, it, it's conjugating into that into that creek. So, I mean, we're wet. We're, you know, we're walking through some water, but it's not deep. The deepest part of the creek that I fell through, the, the second layer of ice was maybe a foot and a half deep. So it's nothing that the dogs can't handle, you know. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> we were walking, like I said, over to this bush that all these birds were flying to. And uh, it was kind of down the hill from where we were. So my two-year-old ran down this hill and he went across the creek. And I noticed he was breaking through the top layer of ice. And right before he was jumping out of the creek, it looked like he had kind of slipped a little. You know, like his back end kind of slipped and it was just a weird how he jumped out of it. I didn't think anything of it. And the, uh, the five-month-old lab ran down the hill and was hesitant to get in the water, but he did. He got in, he walked through. And when he was about halfway across this creek, it was probably, at this point, probably seven feet wide. When he's halfway through, he disappeared, he fell through. And he was probably gone for a couple seconds, you know, but in your mind, it's just, everything goes so slow in that, that instant, you know, that second. I, uh, I dropped my shotgun, jumped down the hill, jumped in the water, and I broke through the second layer of ice. And the water was probably five feet deep in that spot. Oh, yeah. So did you go over your head? <laughs> no, not completely over my head, but it was definitely up chest level, you know, like high shoulders is, is where it was. And, uh, yeah, I was, I, I jumped in and I walked out to the middle and, uh, I found the dog. He was stuck between the top layer and the bottom, bottom layer of ice. Ooh. And, uh, yeah, so I grabbed him, pulled him out. Was he underwater though? Through. Yeah. Yep. He was underwater. Yep. So when he walked into the middle, he kind of fell through because the first dog, uh, I'm guessing when he, I thought he slipped, it was him breaking through the bottom layer of ice when he tried to jump out. Sure. And uh, so, yeah, I jumped in. I found the five-month-old puppy, grabbed him out, threw him on shore. And uh, at that time, I had to walk back to go get my shotgun and then walk back across the creek for a third time to get out. <laughs> so I've been, I've been in the water before I've broken through, gone under, done a polar plunge, <clears throat> all that. I mean, it is hard to explain to somebody what it's like to be in the water that cold. Cause it's such a shock to your system. Can you describe what that was like being in that ice cold water? Yeah. So I guess, I mean, I've, I've fallen through the ice fishing before, you know, um, so I'm, it's, I'm kind of accustomed to it, you know, as much as one can be, <laughs> but <laughs> so like I jumped in first thing, you know, forget about this shotgun I'm getting in. And the first thing I noticed is how soft and just sticky the bottom of this Creek was, you know, it was just, it was kind of a, a chore to get my feet up out of that silt to keep walking over. And it's just, it's almost like a, like a pins and needles sensation as soon as you get in, you know, whatever, whatever the water's touching, it's just instantly burning. So were you by yourself? I don't know if you I told was. us at the beginning. You were, so you were alone. Yep. Did any, yep, I was alone. Okay. Well, 
Man, I guess Brandon, what questions do you well, have? I, I, I'm wondering, like, what did you do to warm yourself and and the the pup up? Like, what's the first thing you did? Did you have to start a fire? Did you need to throw some jackets on? Every every like, how did you? I went to the truck. Right well, the, the truck, truck right away. I, guess. <laughs> I was yeah. just wondering if like there was some sort of like emergency where you you know had to. Yeah, I get. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's not, he's not in Alaska. <laughs> that's fair. I didn't know. Yeah, that's fair. Sorry, assume, there's you a little distance. A great question, and, if it's and I'm really ripping cold, on you. and there's a wet <laughs> dog. I don't know. <laughs> what a jerk I am. Yeah, what did you do, David? <laughs> yeah, that's basically it. You know, just kind of just get back to the truck as quickly as I can and get it started and get the seat heater on for the little guy. Oh man, wow. Um, did you get any birds? I did. We shot um, <laughs> two pheasant and one grouse. Nice. Nice. Well, what was the season like for you out there? Because you're in, I mean, that part of the state, I would put, I would rival with just about anywhere else in bird country across the Midwest. I mean, for you, was this a banner year, just like a lot of other hunters out that way? Oh yeah. It was awesome year. Record number for, I mean, partridge was amazing. Yep. Record number for pheasant for the last couple of years. You know, it was, it was a good year. You know, I've seen a lot of new people out hunting, you know, seeing a lot of dogs working. It, it was just a fun year. Um, did you, like, now that you've had some moment to, or some time to process, did you, you know, think about it uh, in a different way? Like, next time I'm not going by that creek until it's frozen solid, or here's what I wish I would have done differently. I mean, did you learn anything there that you you can take away from that moment? Yeah, I mean, for sure. You know, I... Like I said, I had crossed the creek earlier in the day, and I knew there was two layers of ice. And I guess just be more mindful of that. You know, like, if you do find yourself in some water early in the day and you, you understand the situations that it is, don't push your luck. You know, just understand what, what, how the water is and what the situation is like and just have as much fun as you can without getting yourself into a bad situation. Yeah. I, I wanted to share just a, a similar kind of story. Um, no water rescue happened, but it's, this was the last week of the season here in Minnesota a couple weeks ago. And Daisy and I are out walking for uh, what we think is probably our last pheasant hunt of the year here in Minnesota. And we had uh, abnormally warm. So the ice that was on a lot of these sloughs had melted, actually. Uh, and, but then it was cold again. It was like, I don't know, 10 degrees out or something like that. It was, it was chilly or 15 degrees and so there was parts of the slough that had refroze, but I knew that it was very thin. And so as I'm walking into this stretch of uh, willows along the edge of this, and I, I've hunted this spot one other time and I saw pheasants flew across. They would fly in a certain area to get to safety. So in my mind, as I'm working, I'm looking at my dog thinking, if I shoot a bird over that pond, I know she's going to go to get it. But I don't think she's going to be able to get out there and back safely to bring that bird back because I think she's going to break through. And if she breaks through, what am I going to do to get her out? So all these thoughts are going through my brain. And I think to myself, I'm just not going to shoot if a bird flushes and heads over that pond. So like I'm, I'm just looking at the situation, going into it with kind of a game plan. And that's what I did. We, we didn't pull the trigger. I was able to just enjoy a good point flush, have her stand next to me, steady to flush. And I'm like, good girl. 
and I turned and we just kept on going. But I do know that that would I would have been one of the callers telling you a story had I pulled the trigger on a bird that fell into that half frozen, you know, thin layer of fresh ice out there that would not have supported her. Definitely wouldn't have supported me. And who knows how bad it could have ended up. So, I mean, like Dave, David, like you were just saying, you, you knew something about that crick and maybe you would have done something different. I'm guessing next time you probably will do something different when you head out there again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> gotcha. We're going to play that crick a, a lot different next time. Question for you. Um, as somebody who lives out in bird country, you know, we talk about how amazing it is hunting in North Dakota because I've been going out there since I was in high school and it's one of my favorite places to go with buddies. And, you know, we talk about it regularly on this show and tell people, you know, the DNA or the, the North Dakota game and fish has reported, you know, record partridge numbers, you know, sharp tail numbers are up, pheasant numbers are up. And so when we talk about that, as somebody who lives out there, does that bother you? I mean, no, it doesn't because like I said, you say southwestern North Dakota, but that's a that's a big area, you know. And you know, this year we've had record number of uh posted acres in North Dakota, more than there's ever been. So it's you know, it it's there's not a competition for land. You know, if you live here, you probably know the landowners. You can you can get on their stuff, no problem. And uh, you know, if you don't, there's a lot of public land for you to come hunt. I mean it's revenue for the state, so any money you put in is is going to help the birds in the long run. Right. I mean, it's a win for wildlife when hunters are in the field. We all know that. But it is something that you have to deal with when you like to hunt an area and other people show up. So I guess I'm just curious as to your perspective on it from somebody who lives in a different state and travels to your area to hunt because I love hunting over there so much. Does it bother you? when you see an, a non-resident hunting in North Dakota? No, not, not at all. I mean, if you're respectful to the area, and w- which 99% of the hunters are, there should be no problem with that. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you taking the time today. Glad you and your pups made it out of the frozen water. Hopefully next year when we do this, you don't have another uh, rescue story, but more of a... Um, I don't know. What are we thinking, Brandon? What what kind of a story would we want David to share with us next year? The opposite of a rescue story? <laughs> the opposite of a rescue story. <laughs> yeah. Well, glad you made it out safely. We're going to let you go because we have our next guest on the line. Thank you, David, for uh, calling in. If you're an active outdoorsman or woman on the go, then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you need to haul. Well, our friends at Aluma Trailers, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa, right here in the good old USA. They have models for all of your hauling needs, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say that Aluma Trailers tow gear like a dream. Their trailers are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs.
Now is a great time to make the most of all that tasty meat you harvested. Maybe it's time to try a new recipe, sprinkle on a new seasoning, or make your own jerky and sausage. Trust me, it's not that hard to do, and it can be fun for the whole family. It doesn't matter what you harvested or what you want to prepare with it. Walton's has you covered. Walton's has everything but the meat. That's their motto. Waltons.com has everything, and I mean everything you need to process and prepare your meat. Plus, they have an online community called Meatgistics that's full of recipes and meat processing information. The sky's the limit, my friends. You don't have to be a pro to cook like one. Head to Waltons.com today and enjoy meat processing season. Thankfully, it's a season that never ends. All right, our next guest here is Alex Eastman. Maybe we saved the best for last, Brandon. I'm not sure. Pressure is on. Alex, where do you live? Uh, I live in northeastern Pennsylvania. Northeastern Pennsylvania. How long have you been listening to our podcast? Uh, I would say a little over a year now. And I, to be honest, I don't think in this past, I know for this past year, I don't think I've missed an episode. Really? Um, yeah. Thank you very much. We really appreciate that. I'm curious, what keeps you coming back? Uh, just your guys' stories, um, the people you guys interview, especially, you know, when you talk about dog care, you, even, uh, the hunting stories, it just, it just helps extend, um, the season to only, instead of it being a few months, I mean, it's, it's a whole year's worth of, you know, guys just talking about upland bird hunting and it's, it's very exciting to me. I can't get enough of it. So, um, where do you listen to the show? Do you, do you have a long drive commute to work? Do you listen then? Or I'm just... I'm just like trying to understand a little bit about, you know, a listener and you, but maybe it applies to other listeners too. Uh, so to be honest, there's been times I was uh, working on my truck and just had my phone resting on a tire, listening to, to, a, to your podcast. Uh, and then there's other times where I do have to break it up where I'm driving into work and um, I listen to the first half and the second half I can listen to on my way home. Um, yes. It's uh, anytime, anytime I get some time for some downtime, I, I try to take advantage of it. Well, we sure appreciate that. Thanks again. Um, last question about us, and then we'll get to you. Um, do you feel like it's... Brandon's laughing. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Enough about us. <laughs> Enough about us already. No, but I'm just wondering, now that, we're, now that I'm starting to think about this, I have an opportunity to learn something here, Brandon, to make this better, okay? I'm trying to make this program better. Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so is there certain... Um, oh, I was going to ask. Is it a good length? Do you think? Or is this show too long? No, uh, to be honest, man, it's the exact opposite. I get to that hour and I'm just like, oh man, really? it needs to be longer. Like I wish there was. I, I've said that so many times on actually certain a lot of your shows. To be honest, I'm like, ah, oh, I kind of wish it was a little bit longer. Really? Well, all right, noted. We'll we'll make a note of that. All right, enough <laughs> about us now. As I promised, let's talk about you, Alex. You have a couple of kids, right? Yes, sir. I do. Yep. Yeah. Actually, um, before we get into that, I mean, I got to shoot my shot here. Uh, are you, are you guys hiring? I mean, if, you guys need an East, if you need an East coast guy, I mean, I'm, I might be it. Well, we're going to try to block Scott Franzen from listening to this podcast, just in case he likes <laughs> hearing from you more than he likes hearing from me. Cause he might, <laughs> might kick me to the curb and bring you on full time here. But, uh, I, at the oh, moment, sorry. I yeah. think we're holding Pat, I think. <laughs> it's fluid. It's always fluid in this business. You just never know when tomorrow could be your last day and we need That's another right. replacement. So you obviously like bird hunting. I'll make a note here. 
and uh, we'll go from there. Can't get enough of it. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm sorry. To answer your question before you yeah, have, I got two kids, uh, six and 11 years old and they absolutely adore the show. Um, yeah, it's funny when I, uh, when I got your message about being on the show on your podcast, uh, they immediately thought like on TV and, uh, it became a whole thing. My six year old said, uh, you're going to be on, oh, cause you guys, uh, advertise for pheasants forever. Yeah. That's what he associates it with. You're going to be on Pheasants Forever. I want to go. My 11 <laughs> year old overhears it and goes, No, I get to go. And it, it became a whole thing. Oh, that is so awesome. So they, they, they watch the show, but do they go hunting with you too? Have they been out in the field with you? So, um, so my six year old has not. Um, he's been out, you know, in the yard with me helping train the dog in, during the summer months. Um, but with his, his condition, not yet. My 11 year old, we did, I took him hunting for the, his first year this year. Um, he took advantage of the junior pheasant season that we have here. Um, didn't get anything, but he definitely had lots of, lots of opportunities and we had an absolute blast, um, doing it. You, you mentioned your six year old has a condition. Do you mind sharing what that is? Uh-oh, did I lose you? No, I got you. We may I'm have... sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. You you mentioned that your six-year-old has a condition. Um, is it okay if I ask what that condition is? Oh, absolutely. Um, so I don't know if you it's uh it's it was new to me. Um doesn't necessarily run in my family either. So he's got what's called systemic juvenile idiopathic arthritis. And you know, in a nutshell, basically what that is is he, uh, his body, when it goes to fight an infection, it could be the co the common cold. Um, his immune system doesn't shut down. Um, so we had him on medicine for a while and it was working great. And then all of a sudden it really wasn't working up the par. So we tried some different things, different medicines, and, uh, he kind of went downhill, lost his ability to walk. Um, you know, but in a, again, kind of keeping things short, uh, the new medicine he's on seems to be working. We're back to trying to get him to walk again. So we're seeing some, seeing some upside to it. Well, he's now in my prayers. I, oh, I can't imagine how tough that is to see your son not be able to, you know, live the life that you dreamed for him, you know, at this time. But it's miracles. Hey, miracles happen every single day. So we're praying for one for your son. Thank you very much. It's uh, and that's the other thing, you know, it's, you know, uh, just going through that whole process with my wife, myself, my, my other son, you know, just him, you know, we were in the hospital setting for, you know, three months or so. And, you know, dealing with that as a family and, um, you know, it's been, it's been, had some good opportunities to talk about God and talk about, you know, prayer and, um, you know, just even following, you know, God's will and, struggling to be okay with that his will as well and not our own and it's been there's been some good conversations but also some difficult thoughts along the way but again at least we're we are hopeful and um and praying for a miracle for sure well i i hope there's other listeners that are going to be praying with you too um maybe we'll have you on when the miracle comes through and you can tell us about your son's first pheasant when he gets it out there um, oh man he, he, he already asked. I told, I told him. I said, "Daddy's going to be on the on the phone today." And he goes, "When I'm older and better, can I can I be on the show?" I'm like, "I'll ask Mr. Travis, buddy." Can I ask what your son's name? His name is Xander. Xander, I hope when you listen to this, you know that I'm praying for you, and that someday I would love to go hunting with you. 
Mm. Oh, thank you so much. He's going to be ecstatic. <laughs> um, oh, wow. Um, so let's see here. I have a couple notes from, from the message you sent. Um, mm. let's, let's transition to that. Even though my heart is, is, is hurting for you right now, but let's, let's keep going here. So you listened to our podcast maybe a couple of years ago when we had Michael Mapes on of second chance bird dogs. Is that true? Because I see here that you have one of his dogs. I do. That is true. I did listen to that whole podcast. And yes, uh, it's, I do have one of his dogs. Wow. How did that come about? I mean, was it from the show or did you hear about it somewhere else? Actually, no. I, uh, and again, man, this is, this is a God thing. I, uh, I was I'm wanting a bird dog, wanting a bird dog for a while now. And, um, I was just on Facebook and his, uh, his page popped up literally out of nowhere. Cause you know, he's from Michigan. I'm from PA and I, it, it just caught my eye and I started to look into it a little bit more and, um, make a long story short. I, <laughs> I started bugging him. Um, I got, I got the okay from my wife to get a bird dog and, um, just started bugging Mike and just every dog he would post about or have even a comment, I'd kind of fire back and say, you know, Hey, this is kind of what I'm looking for. And I tell you what, he, uh, the guy's got a gift. Uh, he, I, I told him I was looking for, and he couldn't have given me a, a better dog. Um, you know, when you talk about Travis on your, on your show, like, you know, what's over that next hill, what's over that next hill. I kind of hunt the same way and I got the dog to, to do it. Was this the first year then? Uh, for me hunting? For, with that dog, with your new dog. Yes, that's correct. This is the first year, first season with this dog. Yes. And I couldn't have been, I couldn't be happier with his, with his performance. I, I, I apologize if I missed this. I was thinking in my mind here about something, but did you say what kind of a dog he was? I don't think I ever did. He's a German wire hair pointer. Um, okay. I believe... I, and this is just strictly my opinion. I believe he's mixed with a Griffon as well, but, um, I'm actually going to get him DNA tested because I would just love to know, officially know what he is. How and old? probably never the breed. How old was he when you got him? He was a year and a half. Okay. So he's what? Two and a half now. He's probably two, two and a half now. Yeah. I got him. I picked him up in April. Um, so he was about a year, yeah, so probably about two years old now. So how, what was the highlight for you guys this year out in the field hunting? Oh man, that's a tough question. Well, maybe give us a couple then. <laughs> uh, so, you know, the first two that really come to mind is, uh, I'll give you three actually. Perfect. Um, the first one definitely with, uh, with my oldest son, um, the 11 year old, we were, you know, just out in the field hunting and. Um, the, the, we didn't, we didn't get into that field 10 minutes. And again, this is the first season I'm hunting with him. I, I was training with the dog all summer, but, you know, still really learning the dog's cues out in a non-training setting. And, um, the, he, he went on point and I'm thinking, ah, maybe cause the cover wasn't that great. And, uh, I, in PA you have to, for the junior hunt, you have to hold the gun, the, the, the mentor cannot, uh, I'm sorry, the mentoree, if you will, mm -hmm. cannot carry and walk with the gun. Um, so I was holding the gun, saw the dog, I'm like, ah, maybe. And as soon as I the thought crossed my, my mind of maybe, up, up, flushed, up flushed a cockbird and 
<laughs> I just looked at my son. He looked at me. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, buddy. But <laughs> um, so I paid attention a little bit closer. And uh, again, he got some quality shots, didn't connect with any. Um, so that was definitely the one, like him, just him and I just looking at each other like, oh, that was an epic failure. And, oh, man. you know, the dog, I had the dog on the, on a lead. We we're walking to another field and he, uh, the, a cock bird cackled and, uh, the dog just like stood up on its hind legs and got so excited. It was like twisting and going crazy. And my son like literally doubled over laughing cause he just couldn't believe how excited the dog got. <laughs> it was just one of those intimate moments that you just have as a father, you just, just really appreciate. Um, and then definitely the third one, when, uh, when, uh, my wife got her, her first bird and then actually her first limb at the same day, just totally, um, excited for her and to be able to share that moment with her and uh, amidst uh, everything we've been going through, which and just, so, like I said, I think I mentioned in my in my message, I, I actually felt a twinge in my elbow. Um, I, I did a, a, an arm pump so hard. I was just so pumped for. Oh, man, I love to hear those stories. Those are the kind that you just hold on to forever. And, you know, a dog brings you to the bird, but it's about all of it. It You know, we, we go out there and, and I've interviewed... I don't know, hundreds of people now about why they hunt. And most of them will say, I do it for the dogs. And I agree mm-hmm. with that to an extent. I mean, we love to watch them out there, but it's all of it. It really is. It's the bird. It's the land. It's the people that you're with. It's the meal afterwards to go back and retell that story together. It's all of it. it it's more than just the dog. It's too rich to really put into one word or one sentence as to why you do it. But I think you summed it up pretty well there, Alex. No, well, that's that's why I listened to your show because you couldn't have said that any better. It is, it truly is all of it from the very start of the even actually just driving out to location. You're just sitting there talking, even about life. You're talking about you know the hunt. You're talking about cues that you're going to give, and then to the hunt, into the hunt, post hunt. Uh, you couldn't have said it any better. It truly is everything. I don't know how else to finish this show, Brandon. I think we're going to wrap it up right there um, with our last guest being Alex today. Alex, we sure appreciate you making the time today. You are in our prayers now, you and your family. Um, Please stay in touch. And um, we'd love to, at least I'd like to call and say hi to uh, to Xander at some point too and, and just see how he's doing, if that's okay. Oh, absolutely. That would be fantastic. Have you ever heard of Pheasant Fest before? <laughs> I have. I was going to actually going to crack a crack a joke in there with because uh, I was actually kind of nervous to be on the show. And I'm actually, you know, I'm talking to an A-list celebrity in the Upland world. And I was going to actually crack a joke of, uh, you know, I, I talked to Travis once, so I don't have to wait in this line at, at Pheasant Fest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, if I get the chance to meet you and your son, it would make my day. So please stop by if you ever have the opportunity to come join us. And um, I think we're going to do, Brandon, I think we're going to do a live show again from Pheasant Fest this that's year. That's the plan. That's yeah, the plan. that's the plan. So I I did uh, trivia last year. Yes, Scott's trying to force his way into being the host of that show. What? Where he does the trivia. 
How I'm does like, that what even do you make mean? Sense? No, I, I, I will be the one asking the questions, and you will get behind the mic. You can wear the pretty bre- dress and show off the prizes. You can do <laughs> yeah, that sort of thing. Exactly, exactly. Host, I don't think so. Thanks, Alex. We appreciate your time today. Any of those stories, Brandon, stand out to you? I mean, obviously, Alex and what he's going through with his family, but um, it went fast. That was a really it went really fast. Yeah, it went really fast. Um, so um, anything stand out to you? Well, you know, I mean, yeah, they're all individual and, and, and different and cool on their own. I, you know, I can relate to the barbed wire bit. I'm accident prone. <laughs> like if something bad can happen, it's going to happen to me. I've been bit up by barbed wire too. Um, but yeah, just uh, that one resonated with me because, yeah, I get injured all the time in the field. And the fact of them keeping calm and not like freaking out in the situation. It is just, a big deal. Yeah. And just going forward, because if everybody is calm and, and, and just doing the right things, it makes the situation that much better. But if there's one person in the group running around freaking out, yes! the whole thing completely changes. If I was just going to comment on that, too, because, you know, I'll take this the hook in the eye. One guy's semi panicking. Mm-hmm. The other guy's calm. We're calm together. And I'm focused, you know, like he helped me. I was actually okay until I got to the doctor and the doctor started to kind of freak out a little bit. Now I'm starting to get really worried yeah. because he's like, you need to get into the, you need to see this specialist tomorrow as soon as possible. Um, you ha- you cannot wait. You have to get in there in the morning. And so then I, I'm like, oh crap. Well, and know, it's, now I'm worried too. Yeah. And well, it's even with the situation with the dog too, again, it's not freaking out. It's keeping calm under pressure, mm-hmm. dealing with the situation that's in front of you. You'll find out how bad it is later, regardless of what happens. And that right flowing, now, that flowing yeah. water scared me. Yeah. Because I've been around a lot of rivers in my life and I have gone through the water and through the ice. And I can tell you that it's not easy to get out. Yeah. And if you add current, the fact that you could go under, yep. that's where I'm like, you know what? I mean, you got to, like, if you're near that, um, I have brought ropes with before if I'm near flowing water. That's smart. Um, really? And, and I'm, I've gone through a lot of um, accidents and come out the other side, everyone survived, dogs yep. survived, you know, things like that. When you go into it prepared, but like that. The hand on the barbed wire. You can't go into that. Can't really thinking, prepare like, for that. All right. Um, if we, if you lacerate your hand wide open, you know I have a plan for you. <laughs> you know, yeah, like you yeah. just don't think that way about every possible scenario. It's just take this away from these conversations today. Staying calm helps the situation. It helps you think through scenarios so much um, more. I don't know. It just like you're you're present. And the calmness affects everything that's happening out there. You, you can't prepare for everything specifically, but you can prepare for things generally. And that's sure. just having the right things around that can be used for whatever. You know, like he said, he had the, the dog kit with him and then they had the human kit in the car, uh-huh. but he had the two different kits with. Yep. You might not specifically know what you're going to use it for, but if you have those general. Well, he might have found items, out if he didn't have cell phone that's service. True. That's, very, <laughs> that's a big deal. True. Your buddies yeah. are two and a half miles away with yep. both vehicles. Ooh. Yeah. You know? Uh, so this is kind of fun because you and I have both done live radio before. Yeah. In, the, in Minnesota here. You did for a while. Yeah, I've done KFAN and WCCO, which yeah. is our CBS affiliate here in Minnesota. And I always loved when we had the phone lines open up because yes. you never knew what you were going to get. Here we kind of knew what we were going to get because we had people sending us stories time. and then we got to cherry pick. What's your favorite moment from 
live radio. I mean, I, it's it's. I don't know if I necessarily have a favorite. And I was trying to think of, about this throughout the entire time. I can just remember one of the stories about not keeping calm and freaking out. I'm gonna. I, I worked with someone who will remain nameless in a sister station, which will remain nameless <laughs> okay. in the same building at the place that I worked at. Uh, I, all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, I woke up just so I could go in early because I had an early morning shift. I was a uh, an intern for the the morning show for a little while, and I, I noticed there was dead air on the sister station on your drive in <laughs> on my drive in, and I'm wondering. And this is like three something in the morning, like three thirty, three forty five. And there's dead air. So I start calling the station knowing my buddy is working at that station overnight. It's a, it's one of the stations that plays live. Which yeah. We'll probably give it away overnight. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't get a hold of him, couldn't do anything. I finally got myself buzzed into the building when I got to the studio. And there he is, passed out, no. <laughs> completely oh, face, no. face down on the board. Out cold sleeping. I'm just going to say he was sleeping because that's a nicer way to put it. And he was just out cold. So I had a quick line up and queue up everything real quick because he was not budging to wake up. And when he got and up. And you had the motherboard, yeah, which, and, by the way, looks way different than what we're using yeah, today. It's, it's huge. And then I looked and I, I noticed he'd been off air for well over an hour. Oh, my. He Did just, anybody else know? Nobody apparently know. I mean, the, the, the phone lines were lit up. So people noticed that we're listening. But uh-huh. none of the higher ups knew right away. So I had to quick go in up commercials because commercials have to be logged and everything has to be taken care of. So you just did two hours of commercials to catch up? We basically <laughs> had to catch up in that sort of fashion. And then the long and short, he maybe not made it out. of <laughs> <laughs> That was his last that day. day. That might have been his very, very oh last goodness. day. There. But again, it was one of those situations where I'm freaking out and like on the way and I'm like, oh, something bad's happening. I'm just. Yeah. But then I get in there, I assess the situation <laughs> I just have to take care of myself. Life is a little easier yeah. for you now where it's not live. Right? Yeah. Yeah. This was kind of nice because it was, you know, running the board back and forth, checking the calls. But uh, yeah, I've got other stories. They're probably not as PG because I know we have kids listening. But yeah, there's. Right. There's a bunch of other wild stories. How about you? What are your well? Your I mean, I I just look at this board here, and I remember, you know, we would do the live shows, um, and we'd have people call in, and you always the producer always had to be ready on the button because you have no idea what you're gonna get when you open up the phone lines, and yes. that was that was like pure magic. Yep. In radio, I mean, call ins are they could go anywhere. You have no idea. Sometimes you have to cut people off and say, "All right, we're moving on here yeah. because you know we can't we can't change your opinion on this or like you know well, whatever that's what it might the be." But like, for. it'd be political. It could get political yeah. really quick because I've, I had anyone from you know the DNR commissioner on. I mean, we're talking outdoors. It was yeah. live outdoors on WCCO, and then um, you know. The, the beat button. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. like, this this little board that we have here it handles everything we need to do and so much yeah. more. Um, but, like, we were talking between guests here. There was, like, 750 other buttons. So what are all those buttons for? They're there to look cool if someone comes into the studio because they use <laughs> right. maybe four channels total <laughs> right. on, you like, a 24-channel like board. like, three or four of those yeah. buttons. That's yeah, it. Absolutely. Hey, it looks really cool when people come in. Yeah, I loved live radio because it was unpredictable. Yes. And that is fun. Yeah. And you yeah. can laugh sometimes. You can go back. <laughs> I've felt like such an idiot so many times. Oh. What did I say that for? I think my first five times on air when I was actually live and I knew I was actually live because some of radio is pre-recorded. Mm-hmm. Uh, the shakiness in my voice must have been so apparent. Just how scared I was. I couldn't even hold the papers. <laughs> and I was shaking yeah. for like the first total week I did it. And somebody was like, hey. 
It doesn't really matter. You're fine. <laughs> right. Good enough is good enough. Yeah. Don't worry about Nobody's it. listening. Yeah, that's okay. what I always yeah. tell myself. Well, no, but I mean, that's that's what you have to convince yourself of is yeah. like, nobody's listening. Nobody's it's, listening. It's I'm just going to talk. Right yeah. I remember it. So I'm a I'm the co-host, right? Yep. So this is one of my first chimes going into the studio. It's intimidating just going downtown. Yep. The live on-air sign is on. The and light CCO. turns on. You're on. Yeah. Okay. And the host is in the bathroom. Like, here we go. Here we go. And I'm, I go full panic and I start talking and he comes walking in like no big deal. You know, I'm sure he did it just to get me. Yeah. Rile you a little bit. Yeah. It's like, here, we're going to, we're going to throw this kid in the water, you know, see if he can swim or sink. I, I feel like I probably uh, outproduced him. Well, maybe that's what he was, he was afraid of. <laughs> right. He never did it again. Yeah. He knew there was talent in the building. He never let me go first ever again because he didn't want to lose his he's job. He's hearing the playback while he's going to the bathroom. Like, yeah. This kid's really good. This All kid right. is yeah. on fire. I mean, yeah. we better get in there. He's going to take over the radio world before we know it. Okay, Brandon. So we had five guests on today. Yes. I received dozens and dozens of stories and messages so should we do this again was it do you think this i definitely think we should do it again i mean it's 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 something that it's fun for us because we get to not have to produce content of our own and let other people do it. but it is also really nice to hear other people tell their stories everybody's got such different hunting stories and for me as somebody that's not a hunter quote-unquote um, it, it's more inspiring me for me to get out there, for me to try, just hearing all these yeah. little things. And the camaraderie that you seem to build amongst the hunting community is really something special. So. Well, totally. And, you know, like I asked a couple questions to the guests around, you know, how long have you been listening? Why do you come back? Because me, I'm always like, what can I do to make this better? And I ask, I want the listeners to send me messages like, hey, this sucked. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> don't, don't, don't do that again. But this yeah. was good. Yeah. So do more of this. That would be helpful. You yeah. know, and I get that when I go out in the field and I'm talking to people that are that are consumers of this content that we try to create. And Pheasant Fest, I mean, it is overwhelming the amount of conversations that I get to have with people in a great way. It's oh, a, it's amazing. But I ask people all the time, what can I do to make the show better? What can I do to the TV show? What can I do to make the podcast better? What do you like? What what are some of the things that we could do differently? And, you know, having these guests like this is good for us to hear. I would like to hear more of it, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm every week I'm going and throwing darts at the wall and seeing if any of them are good, if they stick, if people like it. And when we get the feedback, it helps us. Absolutely. So I'll probably do more of that with our next guest too. Just really hammer them, really yeah, drill yeah. them. You know, what? Who? Do, who don't you want to hear from ever again? And if it's me, damn it, <laughs> sorry, I'll, I'll accept it and walk away. Yeah, this is something we should definitely do, and it's a perfect way for us to to keep things going during the off season as well. All right, it gives well, everybody some motivation, and I'm just gonna throw this out there because I just got an email, uh, David. We know you haven't been listening for five years because it hasn't been on for five years, but we get what you were saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what are we on three? Year something three, like, yeah, just over three, something yeah. like that. Man, what a ride! Thanks yeah. for being here for all of it. Appreciate okay. you, Brandon. Oh, hey, man, thanks for hosting it and letting me uh, do the producing. Yeah, that. absolutely. Now get back to work. You got other I shows you got to produce, and I need oh. to hang up because I got a TV show I have to produce, <laughs> and we got to figure out who's going to be guests on next week's show, and it just goes on and on so never ends ron would always say i it would produce a, a story for him and then he'd, he'd move on the next day be like so what have you done for me lately <laughs> <laughs> or, <laughs> it never ends one, one of my favorite uh, parts of ron's um, um his his uh, view of the show is like 
Does it have to go on for over an hour? Oh, Does I know. it have to be that long? Nobody wants to hear what you have to say. <laughs> Stop talking. He always just puts me down, puts me in my place. So I appreciate Ron for always keeping me in check. Nobody has done it like Ron Shera nope. over all these years. So we'll be back with that. <laughs> I think, anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode of the Flush Podcast. Thanks to our listeners for chiming in. We loved your stories. <laughs> <laughs>